All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 212. We're going to take a step back and um, try to reset. Frustration had been creeping into some of the recent live streams we did just from the overwhelming negative emails and everything else that are coming in. It's what people are having to contend. It's just overwhelming. So today we're going to take a step back and cover some indigenous medicine, specifically Tibetan medicine which we will find is tied to the sky clock. I don't know how much of that we'll get into, but it is bound in nature. And it's a wholly different way of looking at medicine than we do here in the West, what people would call allopathic. Matter of fact, a lot of people have complaints about the kind of medicine we're getting here in the West. In this type of medicine, you're going to find that a doctor is a doctor of everything holistically. It's not, oh, my foot hurts, I'm going to go to the foot doctor kind of idea. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. How's it, man? You had a heck of a storm come through yesterday, and it's rolling up on me right now. They're claiming 65-mile-an-hour wind gusts, and it is starting to pick up. Took me out right mm, 30 seconds or so after we got off the live stream. Yeah, it was pretty good timing. We, right as we got off the air, I went to call you back, and you were already down. We'll see what happens here. But uh, do you have anything? Uh, we're not really too far ahead running all these shows each week <laughs> at this point. No, I think we just need to move forward here. All right. Um, welcome, Douglas. Hi. Nice to let, be here. Thank you for having me. Let's, uh, let's get things we need to get out of the way out of the way. Why don't you let people know who you are and where you can be contacted? And by the way, I will also say uh, that followers of the podcast uh, put the link in place for us to meet Douglas. But go ahead, Douglas. Okay. Um, I'm here in California, in Northern California. So my website's indigenousmedicine.net, and my email address is indigenousmedicine101 at gmail.com. Okay, there it is. So we're going to jump in here. There were times from probably my 20s forward where I would take time to try to learn something about other cultures. Uh, and ironically enough, I spent quite a bit of time looking at the roots of Tibetan medicine and actually met a guy in San Diego who was basically a double PhD, um, both the sky clock portion and what I guess what we would consider more herb-based medicines. Um, he's the guy that I've talked about before. This man had a head of hair like you've never seen. Put all four beetles together, that's how much hair this man had. <laughs> and he hooked me up with apricot oil. <laughs> when, I, when I mentioned it, he said, oh, I use this every day. You know, So I used it, and it's the real deal. But anyhow, why don't you just give a brief overview of what we're going to call indigenous medicine? And I'm guessing mostly what we're going to cover here is Tibet specific. Yeah. Indigenous medicine, as I, as I call it, is uh, the natural arisal of people's attempt to survive um, as the cultures developed. Yeah, and they came with this similar observations. They worked under a similar cosmology. And we find all over the world we have very similar concepts of uh, hot disease, cold disease, and what we call wind disorder. And so uh, Tibetan medicine is no different than this. It arose out of uh, Ayurveda and Siddha medicine. And the founder of, of Tibetan medicine came from a long lineage of healers. And this is going way back to where the um, Bon tradition was still strong. This is an indigenous tradition in, in Tibet. And there were many different, uh, many different kinds of healing, and they had their medicine system as well. It's very similar. And so he traveled by walking 
walked into North India, South India, throughout China. He walked over into Persia um, through the Middle East and came back. And he did this about five times, making friends all over the place and studying with the best healers he could find. And eventually had a conference where he called them all to Tibet. And they sat and they created the first integrative indigenous medicine system, which resulted in Tibetan medicine. That was combined with uh, a text that they had found uh, secretly hidden in the, in the monastery that they had the uh, conference in. It was the first monastery in Tibet. And that was a text that had been brought to the monastery about 300 years before that, containing the uh, teachings of medicine that, uh, that Gautama Buddha gave. And so they combined it with that. And then about 400 years later, he was reincarnated in the same family line and re-edited the text and then passed it on to his heart disciple, his main disciple. And that began the, uh, that was the first, that's the text that we use today in Tibetan medicine. It's called the Gyushi, the Four Medical Tantras. So just to put a fine point on it, um, by the way, for people who are interested in learning something about other cultures, um, there's two tales that you can buy in book form that come to mind. Uh, one is Milarepa, and it just kind of shows a different, very, very different culture than we're used to. And it's all based around the spiritual ideas that were in Tibet. And the other one, which has to do directly with what we're talking about, is Gampopa. Just how it sounds, G-A-M-P-O-P-A, Gampopa. Um, and that is one of the branches of medicine. As we began to cover before we got on, really uh, the medicine that we're going to cover uh, comes basically some of it from India. And almost there's so much of what went on in Tibet uh, that, that its roots will be in India going back Lord, further than we can see. But there's another branch, which is associated with the Dalai Lama, the Yellow Hats, um, and we'll get into these things. But let's, let's cover, Douglas, the kind of difference between um, an indigenous medicine like we're going to cover here, where the basis is cosmology and the mm -hmm. difference between the allopathic medicine some people like to call it Rockefeller medicine that we have here in the West. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing with indigenous medicine is that, every, and the cosmology of in the indigenous world is that um, everything is considered medicine. There's nothing that's not considered potential medicine. So the, the idea is that we live in a, a world of potential medicine, and everything that is medicine could also be poison if used in the wrong way or at the wrong time. And so part of this understanding is, of course, the understanding of interdependence that we're part of nature. And so how nature changes, our body changes, and that, and that we respond in, accordingly. That's a huge part of it. Um, the other part is interconnection with each other and uh, the human relationship, which is also a huge part of the indigenous um, healing system. We should point out that in the Tibetan medicine, it's holistic beyond holistic. It's not only concerned with what the entirety of nature is doing at any given time, but the entirety of the human body. Um, and that's very different from where we've arrived here. But um, I don't think we'll probably get too much into the sky clock. I mean, that, that, that could be any number of shows on its own. But we should point out uh, that Tibetan medicine is lock stock. I mean, just lockstep with the sky clock. Um, not oh, only that, absolutely. right? So there's this idea, and I'll try to to make a kind of pale Western comparison, so you know what we're talking about. Like, if you took any given flower, 
that kind of blooms at a certain part of the year. And that's different than this other kind of flower, like an iris and a rose. They, they have a different life cycle that you can tie to the calendar. And you know that it's correct because each year, pretty much the same time these things happen. Um, that's one, one way that you could think about what we're saying. And then there's an elemental idea in this. Do you want to get into the elemental ideas or do you just want yeah, to do yeah, a, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to um, continue to lay a little bit of found work of understanding because the, the, the the cause of the disease is really important, I think, to mention with indigenous medicine, and and you find this everywhere in Tibetan. The way they the way they describe it in Tibetan medicine is that okay? Can I do that? Yeah, Can I, go, okay. go ahead. It's all okay. you. The cause of disease is considered to be ignorance in in Tibetan medicine, and I, I've lived in South America as well, and I find it's a very similar tradition, very similar cosmology among the native people there as well. And this is ignorance of or forgetfulness that we're all connected, that that there's such a thing as interdependence, connected with each other as humans, connected with the, the planet, with the stars, with everything. And then the other part of the forgetfulness is forgetting that things change, like basically that the, the, that the, there's a presence of time. And so the everything changing and everything being connected is a reality that um, a lot of us can intellectually understand, but when we're in the moment, moving through our life, we run into situations where we forget those things. And when we forget those things, those two basic tenets of like existence, then what happens is we react. And based on our reaction, based on the emotional, mental emotional reaction, um, we're then drawn into accumulating certain elements into our diet and lifestyle. And that takes us into the elements then. So basically, I mean, we could make a very contrite kind of statement, like if you were mentally in harmony and you're in harmony with the world around you, there would be no illness um, to kind of put it in a very tiny nutshell that, that doesn't yeah. really do it justice. And but this this ties, we should point out, this ties to the spiritual ideas, the idea of forgetfulness and change. Uh, these are big ideas in, in Tibetan spiritual concerns. Yeah. And when we say mind, we're, we're also including emotions. So in terms of natural diseases, naturally occurring diseases, uh, the cause of naturally occurring diseases is your emotional disposition, your emotional reaction to things. So if you have a healthy emotional relationship with your life, then the, your, your tendency to be out of harmony with things is really, really minimal. So let's get into the elemental ideas, and I'll point out, um, you know, the t currently in the West to find elemental ideas, you pretty much have to look at alchemy. There are other ways, but I mean, that's primarily the way we talk about it now. But I would point out that if you go back far enough in any kind of larger culture, every single one of them has this elemental idea. And some of these places claim never had contact with each other, though I think people would argue that um, mm -hmm. because there is a whole history we don't know a lot about. But let's go ahead. Let's get into the elemental view. Okay. So we believe that it's not true. It's, again, this is like you could say it's a belief. It, it's just a way of, of organizing the information that we're perceiving in the universe. Like in science, we use like all these different elements that we've, we've come across. So this is a more general way of categorizing the material universe and so the first idea is that everything's taking place in space and so we say that's an element we say there's a space element okay then there's movement inside that space and we call that wind 
when that gets fast enough, we call that fire. So the, the, the heat and fire, all the qualities of fire that we can think of, including light. And then there's the um, earth and water. So these elements make up all the physical existence. It makes up the medicine. It makes up the illness. It makes up the um, cure of the illness. And it makes up the body that the illness is taking place in. Okay. Then these energy or these, these elements combine in the body in certain ways. So the earth and water combine in the body. And that the energy that combines that, that's related to the mental emotional energy, we call that a particular um, humor. The, the term that we use is humor. It comes out of Greek medicine, really. And it's not directly related, but it's, it's a type of energy. And it's related to um, depression and confusion and uh, kind of an ignorance, stupor, and closed-mindedness. And then there's the energy of what we call um, tripa. So the, the, first constitu- the first humor we could say is phlegm, is the term that's used in English translation. The Tibetan word is betkin, it means earth and water, it means like mud. And then there's what we call tripa. So tripa is kind of like, in, in Ayurveda, we say pitta. In, 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 in Tibetan medicine, or so rigpa, we say tripa. And this means literally bile. It's the bile energy, not just the physical substance, but the energy of bile as well, which is the presence of the fire in the body. And then there's the wind. And so when, we, when we're consuming qualities... And of the different elements of these elements, we're building those elements up in our system. So, it, for instance, um, the quality of heaviness is going to build up earth, and so there's there's a mixture of qualities as well that's taken into consideration through our diet and through our lifestyle. You know what we do, our behavior has kind of an elemental uh, quality to it, and so yeah, so these these elements are it's a huge part of looking at. The body, the disease, you know, when we look at the body, we also look at like genetic disposition and all these, all these components. So I'll point out that we just did Ovid in two parts. And at the very beginning of Ovid's metamorphosis, um, the, the creation of the world is described in these, in a version of these elemental ideas. And so people should understand these are philosophical elements. And even though you could associate it with something real in the world, more than anything, it's a schematic way to logically think about things, but let's uh, let's move into the the nuts and bolts here. Um, there's a really quite a difference between the doctor patient relationship in the West, and if you go back to these indigenous medicines, it's like night and day, isn't it? Can we yeah. talk talk a minute about the idea of what the doctor patient relationship should be in this form of uh, healing? Yeah, sure. So in, in all in all these indigenous traditions there's this idea of interdependence that we're we we're part of each other we're part of the land we're part of the universe and so in that when a person's ill when a person's sick in a community it's in in the western kind of allopathic idea the the disease is about that person it's inside that person's body it's separate from the person and that person's separate from society whereas in, in an indigenous community that person represents part of the, of the the general body of the community as one organism. So everybody, it's almost like everyone is everyone has a little bit of that illness. If somebody is sick, it's manifesting in one body, 
but it's connected to everyone. It's connected to something the community is doing that's um, affecting uh, everyone else because the disease affects everyone else. And so that understanding is brought into the whole doctor-patient relationship as well as the understanding of where the knowledge of medicine came from. So in all these traditions, the knowledge of medicine kind of occurred in a very kind of a mythological um, incident where there was some interaction between humanity and some divine force or some divine intervention through angels or other beings or gods or something where the, the medicine was given to the people and then over a long period of time it was studied and rehashed over and over and over again and reproven until it became very much accepted but the origin of them is all the same so when in an indigenous community when a person's coming to a doctor there's this understanding that they're they're contacting this event that happened in their mythological origin and so there and in that there's this understanding that the doctor actually is just like them and that and that the process of healing is actually awakening the healing force that's inside the patient and the doctor's just just helping uh, like show the map to the to the patient and in this interaction there's this connection that's happening between the doctor and patient and the patient and the doctor in 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 Solarikpa, the tibetan medicine idea is that the patient's actually helping the doctor and the doctor's helping the patient simultaneously and it's kind of like a, a spiritual event in coming together in a relationship of compassion. And so it's very, very, very different because in the Western tradition, we're looking at an imbalance or a, a disease or a pathogen. If you're, if you're going really in hardcore allopathic reductionism, it's, it's nowadays it's more about a pathogen that's in the body. And so we're going after this thing that's separate from the body, separate from nature, separate from even the person. So the doctor's not really even treating the person in general. He's treating the disease. And it's a very, very different thing. In the indigenous tradition, we're working at harmonizing the, the person. The disease is secondary. The disease is considered to be a manifestation of an imbalance that's happened within the person. The, the imbalance within the person is considered to be an imbalance that's happened within the community. And the imbalance in the community is considered to be an imbalance that's happened kind of in the universe. So nothing's considered to be like separate in this whole process. You know, oftentimes in an indigenous kind of healing situation, because of the listening quality and, and interrelationship that the doctor is creating with the patient, oftentimes that's harmonizing the energies that's causing this kind of force against the body's natural ability to create balance and heal itself. And just simply talking to the person sometimes is enough for the person to feel better. You know, oftentimes in the Western tradition, allopathic medicine in the hospital, it's the nurses that do this. You know, without the nurse, the patient many times feels lost and completely disconnected from any kind of healing force in their body. As soon as the nurse comes and kind of interacts, there's this like, there's this sense of being cared for and protected. And then out of that calmness in the body, I mean, you could even show it if you measured stress hormones in the body, you know, just, just the, the reduction of stress and the feeling of connection helps the body to, to heal itself. The, the, the idea, though, is that in the indigenous tradition, these, the, the, that 
power to do that. We, you know, sometimes we call them placebo effect and other ideas. This is really part of the system. This is what you're instilling in the person's body, in the person's mind. You're not getting them to rely upon the medicine or to really rely upon the doctor. You're getting them to, to rely upon themselves. And you're doing that in a way by becoming friends with the patient, listening to the patient and following what the patient asks. You know, the patient might have liver cancer, but is complaining about a cough. If you don't help the patient with the cough, there's, there's, so the patient doesn't have to think about it. There's been no connection to what the patient's expressing to you about what's disturbing the patient. And if you heal the cough, now the patient listens to you more, is, is going to be more together with you, and then maybe you can start to address some other issues that you've found. But it means nothing to the patient if you cure the patient's liver cancer and they still have a cough. So I think a lot of people in the West uh, might consider that some of the things we're covering are hocus pocus. And I saw an interesting study um, when I was looking um, particularly at Tibetan medicines and the idea of meditation. Um, and I could mention it's almost superhuman. Some of the things that can be demonstrated came out of some of these communities. But in the kind of example that I'm going to cite here, they took a bunch of people and the idea was to take Western medicine in and treat Tibetan people in a Western way for things they would have had to deal with otherwise. And the example I'm going to use is, is because it stands out in my mind, but it was the same across almost everything. A guy was, I think, working with the animals and he smashed his finger. And so the Western doctor who was doing the study uh, put Novocaine in the finger, had to trim a little bit of tissue off. Uh, they wrapped it. They gave him pain pills, um, and it healed up. And then after the fact, they do the follow-up. And almost to a person, what they said was that the pain went away really quickly. Um, everything happened uh, more easily on the onset. But on the, on the backside, to a person, they said that they didn't feel like the healing was as complete with the Western mm -hmm. medicine. And there's another thing to this for people who think this is all just hocus pocus. You can look up different meditative things that have had, because I was very interested in knowing, is there anything to this? You know, is this real or is it just some mystical mumbo jumbo? Uh, one of the things I can point to is there's a group of people who were taught um, how to survive with basically no clothes in some of the coldest winters ever. And what they did, um, I've forgotten the word for it, I used to know, um, is they learned to put their inner body heat up to a point uh, through meditation where they could literally walk in these white, thin cotton robes um, through some of the worst winters you can imagine. Uh, there's other examples of people memorizing uh, religious or medical texts, but the side, like think of the movie with, uh, what's his name there, where he memorizes the whole Bible and you're thinking, man, that's amazing. What these people are memorizing is 10 15 times that. I mean, it's incredible to the point where they were making the claim that people from other parts of the world aren't equipped because they don't have generation after generation queuing up the mind in this way. So I'm just pointing out that if you look into the things we're talking about, some of the things you'll come across, which provably are true, are pretty amazing. But let's get into a thing that I've been impressed with for so long. Um, I've always been so interested because I saw it done and then I paid attention to it. And it's almost magical when you see a guy take someone's pulse and then know so much right out of the gate. Let's talk about the three-finger pulse method. Okay. So, so this is found 
in uh, for sure in Indian medicine. Indian medicine being Ayurveda and also Siddha medicine, which is less known but more indigenous and more uh, ancient, and uh, Tibetan medicine and Chinese medicine. They all do this, as well as in Yunani medicine and Greek medicine, which is really where allopathic medicine kind of came out of. Hippocrates practiced uh, Yunani medicine or Greek medicine that came out of Egypt. So this, this idea is that the flow of blood through the channel of the veins can give you information about what's going on inside of the body. Now, the, the choice of using the wrist is because of the distance from the heart. If you get too close to the heart, there's kind of more background noise from the heart. If you get too far away, you get kind of it's more distant. So they chose the wrist. You can, you can do pulse reading in different parts of the body if you, if you need to. You can even look at the result of the pulse in some ways on the back of the ears in terms of the veins. And it's in the same same organization in terms of, of lower, middle, and upper part of the body. And so when we're, when we're feeling the pulse, we're actually feeling the nature of these three energies in the body that I was mentioning before. In Ayurveda, they call them doshas. It's, it's kind of most commonly known as doshas. So these, these energies will manifest um, based on their qualities. So earth and water has kind of a heavy sinking quality. And so if you felt the, the pulse of the, of the vein, and you, you, know, you, can do, you can do it with one finger even if you wanted to, but that general feeling of sinking deep depth, um, kind of distant, consistent type of pulse would be considered that there's, okay, there's a lot of this energy, a lot of earth and water in the body. If the, the pulse was very sharp, if you felt the pulse and it was very sharp and rhythmic and intense, that would mean that there's more heat in the body. And actually, if, if you are sensitive enough, you can sometimes feel it spin or like uh, it, it, as it like spins through the, the vein. And it's very prominent in, in, in this. And when you feel the, when you feel this, it's very prominent. And it's an indication of a fever. You can actually feel it kind of whirl while it's pulsing sharply and strong. And then if it's irregular, the pulse sometimes gets a little strong, sometimes disappears, speeds up, slows down. This is the presence of what we call wind. And these concepts, you could also look as hot, cold, and wind. And they're found all, all throughout all indigenous systems. They, they look at the same idea. And these are just qualities you find in nature. You can find it in the body, and it indicates things that are going on in the body. The cold would be anabolic. In, in allopathic terms, it would be anabolic or anaerobic dominance in the body. The fire or this, like um, what we call trip or pitta, would be catabolic, or like free radical oxidation out of control in the body. And the wind would most, um, the, the, the most they deal with in allopathic medicine is uh, basically auto, uh, what they call central nervous system disorders, like sympathetic nervous system imbalance. But it also would cover all kinds of irregularities with the hormones and blood sugar and blood pressure and all that. So on each finger, when you're feeling the pulse, on each finger, you're feeling two sides of the finger. There's a, the side of the finger towards you and the side of the finger towards the patient. And the side of the finger towards you is, is for what we call solid organs. This is the, the vital organs that are creating the transformative power uh, of the body to, to make the body, basically. 
And then there's when you're looking towards the patient, the side of the fingers towards the patient are looking at the hollow organs. And these are the organs mostly of elimination. You know, it's the uh, feeling, the tube going from your mouth to your anus, all these organs. So, yeah, pulse diagnosis is uh, a very, like, there's a five year retreat that you can go in, like a meditation retreat. And solely, solely for pulse diagnosis, if someone, if someone in the medicine really wants to go deeper into it, it's involved in the general study of Tibetan medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, Siddha medicine. But in the Tibetan tradition, there's even a, a five-year retreat, which includes certain things for um, even divination through the pulse. You know, when you're reading the uh, main text, it's talking about ways of seeing what's going to happen to the person. And so this is all the idea, the analogy given in the text is that it's like a person that's gone through the marketplace and seen everything that's being sold. It knows the quality of everything being sold. It knows um, the price of everything being sold, the freshness, how it's packaged, what it looks like, who's selling it. And so this person then is this is the pulse. It's called, they call it the messenger pulse. So you're, you're feeling this messenger pulse as it's gone through the whole body and picked up all these influences and then it's transmitting it in terms of the feeling you know personally um right now i take no pharmaceuticals and there was a time when i was told i had to take high blood pressure medicine and all these things and the reason i'm fascinated by these other kind of older types of medicine is because i had not if i had not bumped into them i probably still would be taking pharmaceuticals i take mm-hmm. none now and by the way i don't have high blood pressure the finger pulse thing the first time i saw it done i thought really is that possible i mean almost within just a minute um there was this idea that we know the basis of a problem that we're after here but as i watched and later sought it out to learn more have it done to myself um all these no nonsense things stick out your tongue And you hear, oh, well, we can see this, that, and the other thing because your tongue. Then this other thing that I'm fascinated with, the the iridology, the the eyes, looking into the Mm -hmm. eye as a map for illness. And Mm -hmm. so for me, looking at these methods and speaking to basically expert practitioners is what led me to be completely pharmaceutical free. At this point, I don't take anything not even uh, a Tylenol or aspirin, although finding aspirin that's really aspirin these days <laughs> has become tough. But where where would you like to go from here, Douglas? This will likely be a 0.5 episode, so we don't have to worry about time. Yeah. So I, I'd like to say, I'd like to comment on what you just said about um, having access to the medicine systems. You know, all these indigenous traditional systems are great. And... Um, there's there's been a thrust to, for in the indigenous medicine community to try to gain um, reputation that's good from from allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine is the most popular; it's the most used, and and they want to kind of like speed up or, or catch up to allopathic medicine in, in a lot of ways. They want to say, okay, I can put on a white ja- a white white jacket and I can wear a stethoscope and you know like how else can I look like a western doctor how can I meet their standards and in doing that what's happened is that it's become way more um, separate just like allopathic medicine is separate from Tibetan medicine Tibetan medicine is kind of separate from Chinese medicine and Ayurveda is separate from 
from Tibetan medicine and, and everyone's kind of in their own little separate bubble. Whereas traditionally what happened is you, you're practicing a type of medicine that's coming out of your culture and you're looking at the same body and using the same principles and basically practicing the same system. There, there, are, there are way more similarities and differences. So traditional medicine is losing its connection with the whole aspect of its, of its power that is not really definable or understandable by Western science. And that's what you might call the magical or the unseen, the emotional connection. A lot of these things that Western science and allopathic medicine are seeing indications of the reality of, but really don't understand. Indigenous medicine understands this, but in their, their effort to receive like a better reputation, even in, in ideas of integrated integrated medicine where they're incorporating aspects of Chinese medicine or something, some tradition into allopathic medical scene, it, they, they're leaving out the most fundamental, important aspect of traditional indigenous medicine, which is this concept of wind, which is the, the connection between the consciousness, the emotions, the um, relationship, and how these affect the outcome and the course of the treatment. And so, that's one thing I'm really concerned about. The other thing is is the accessibility because people don't really feel in general that it's very reputable. They most people feel that allopathic medicine was is like an evolution out of indigenous medicine. That indigenous there is indigenous medicine and then it just got better and better and better and better and became allopathic medicine. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Allopathic medicine dropped even chemistry for a long period of time that Paracelsus had to actually reintroduce back into medicine. It, it, it dropped most of the knowledge that it had in, in, in its indigenous field and tried to recreate everything and then went down a reductionist lane where they were trying, they're still trying to like identify what the pathogen is. The whole systemic approach an interconnection approach was almost completely lost. And it's only still kind of there because there's phenomenon that they can't explain that requires that. So one of the things I, I personally am trying to do is to make indigenous medicine more accessible. And that's through my nonprofit 501c3, Falun Rittim Institute. It's P-H-A-L-A-M like Mary, R-I-T like Tom, A-M like Mary dot O-R-G is the website, falamritam.org. And ideally, what we'd like to do eventually is build an institute that has all the five major formal indigenous medicine systems be preserved intact in their cultural way that they do it. And, but on the same, in the same place, have a, a hospital that can demonstrate the effectiveness of the treatments. It's where allopathic medicine has the most weakness, the most fundamental things like digestion, Indigenous medicine has the most success. You know, basically digestion, degenerative diseases like fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis, things that most people consider to be have no cure, and millions and millions, if not billions of dollars going into research to try to find a medicine to help. Indigenous medicine has clearly proven that it's that it's um, effective. Uh, with multiple sclerosis, for instance, there was a team of doctors. Uh, medical doctors, allopathic medical doctors that monitored treatment of multiple sclerosis for about three years in Tibet. 
and showed that within a year, all symptoms disappeared. There was no trace of the illness at, within a year. And so this is something that people in the West, they don't really have access to unless they're already thinking out of the box. And as we know, very few people are thinking out of the box, although there's a need for it. And people are definitely realizing that they're not getting, they don't really feel so safe in a hospital. And statistics are actually showing that as well. You're not so safe if you actually end up in a hospital. So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to make it more accessible. And um, education is part of that. But really what we're trying to do is create an avenue where there's integration of all the different indigenous healing arts and being put through an academic study that's that in the way that they want to see that can be shown clearly without a doubt it had had an impact and worked even outperformed pharmaceuticals. There's been about five or six pharmaceutical drugs in the last 40 years of all the research and all the experiments and, and trillions of dollars that's been put into the pharmaceutical industry, there's only about five or six that are still, a, that's, that, that have shown to really work and that haven't had to be changed and modified and that they're still trying to figure out a good medicine for. Well, what's crazy about all this um, is I'm guessing that if people lived in a place where only indigenous medical ideas were this kind of world shutdown where everyone's been convinced that your neighbor can somehow kill you, um, these things wouldn't fly. But see, there's a big one big difference in allopathy is, first of all, it's been monetized. That mm -hmm. started here in America mostly. Um, so now there's a whole, this is worth money concern going on. Mm -hmm. um, but more so than that, uh, think of somebody who gets a serious disease. The idea is that you're in battle. Right now there's an invader and you're in battle. Mm -hmm. That is a completely different mindset. And I'll use this as the example. Um, I had a thinning part on my hair. I wasn't necessarily going bald, but I was getting a thinning part. The guy that I mentioned with all the hair said, I've been using this every day of my life. And that dude had more hair than I'd ever seen on anyone. I used it <laughs> and it works. And you know what it is? It's apricot oil. And so you know damn well that that doesn't fit into the kind of pharmaceutical ideas. And by the way, most of those drugs that come out of the pharmacy, a lot of them are based in plants. But yeah, then they yeah. completely depart from elemental ideas. Instead mm -hmm. of doing the old elemental idea that you break it apart, you purify it, you recombine it, they only do the first step there. They break it apart. So the idea that somehow you could just go get apricot oil and offer it to someone for thinning hair is never going to be allowed. And this was shown again in the Gerson method, where they used the juices of basically vegetables and a couple fruits to have unbelievable successes at fighting things like cancer. And within three months of its announcement, it was outlawed to the point where before Charlotte Gerson died about a year ago um, at age 90, uh, her clinics all have to be just over the border in San Diego, California. They have to run the clinics out of Tijuana. Um, there are other parts of the world that are still running them, but it goes to show that it's this very closed, controlled mindset. And by the way, if you get sick, you've just entered into battle. And that is a wholly different mindset than what you were describing as a member of everything. You are part and connected to all of nature, to all of your community. There's not this idea that somehow because you have cancer, um, you got to load your M16 and go fight it, you know, go, go to battle with it. Uh, it's night and day, actually. And the truth of it is, is that in the same way science has become a bit religious in its tenets. In other words, if you're a scientist and you challenge this thing that's accepted in the community, you're going to be an outsider quick. 
allopathic medicine is that all day long, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's one thing to remember is that part of the reason allopathic medicine has has grown is because it is basing things on observable phenomenon, a lot of it. And the, the difference is with indigenous traditions, it, it's like, it's not that they're negating that, that the, that diseases are being cured by allopathic medicine. There are some diseases being cured by allopathic medicine, but what they're, what the indigenous medicines messages is basically that, is that the most appropriate therapy? You know, we, it's like, it's not that they, they knew about antibiotics in ancient India and in Ayurveda. They were, they were using them um, molds, you know, to, to, to try to create like you know, to use as antibiotics and stuff. And they just discovered, they just found out and came to the conclusion it wasn't super effective. And so there, there may be, you know, we have medicines, for instance, that attack um, pathogens, you know, super intense infections. We have a medicine called Garuda 5 that's purified black aconite, which if you eat it in the wild, it goes to your central nervous system, stops your heart, and you die in about three minutes. So they learned how to purify this to make it safe. They mix it with a few other ingredients, and it goes in, it alarms the body, like makes the central nervous system feel like it's being attacked, and the body does incredible things in order to heal itself. And in that, it identifies the pathogen and destroys the pathogen, and it's incredible. But they, it's not the, that's not the first line of action all the time. You know, a lot of times there's, there's other, there's all these processes and procedures and remedies that aren't just about allopathic. There's also a, a homeopathic ideas in, um, in traditional indigenous medicine. And it's basically because it's an integration of the, the sources of a lot of these ideas from ancient medicine. But, you know, all the different techniques are considered to be a potential choice. And so what's possible is with real indigenous medicine, not like taking like milk thistle and extracting silymarin and then saying, oh, this is like the, the active component of milk thistle. So, so take a lot of silymarin because it'll protect your liver. That's how a lot of people even in the natural health field are approaching indigenous medicine. And it's how it's integrated into allopathic medicine through lots of funding to try to like research and support indigenous healing systems, but it's totally ass backwards. You know, they're, they're totally dropping the whole cosmology, which is the fundamental thing that needs to be there in order to understand nature. So, so yeah, so we, we, it's not like we totally like consider allopathic medicine to be, you know, in a hundred percent mistake. We, we recognize that there's the political influences, even in the education, you know, that the pharmaceutical com companies are basically funding the education of medical doctors. And that's leading it to treatments and remedies that are really not the best and the, the most effective. And oftentimes the side effects are, are way more damaging. So, so we're not taking any of that in consideration in modern medicine. And all the, you know, indigenous medicine all we really want is that it's considered and and respected, you know, like taking pieces out of it's and to clarify that allopathic medicine is not really built or did not evolve out of indigenous medicine. It, a lot of it came out of indigenous medicine, but it didn't evolve out of indigenous medicine. Most of indigenous medicine was put to the side, in my opinion, out of a, a kind of Catholic 
cultural revolution that tried to poo-poo any kind of thing that wasn't connected to the Catholic right. principles. It, you know, anything close to nature got got defamed, basically. Yeah. Where in actuality, you know, in the early Christianity, um, that was a big part of it. There's, you know, there's a medical order that goes back to the first, um, the first uh, charitable hospital that was created by a nun. And, and this was before the Catholic Church was created. And the, the, there's six tenets of this Christian medical order. The first two is to um, protect indigenous medicine and protect indigenous medicine systems. And you don't find that, you know, that starts to disappear. And then you get into the dark ages where it's not even legal to like, you know, like look at a body. You can dissect a body, right? When Leonardo da Vinci was around, um, it was illegal for him to be like looking at dissecting bodies and stuff. This, and so this is, this is all stuff that had been done thousands of years before that. And all of that knowledge was kind of put to the side. And so, yeah, I'm really excited that, there's people interested in indigenous medicine and uh, their interest, a lot of the interest is just because friggin' allopathic medicine isn't really, isn't serving people the way it could. I, I know many allopathic medical doctors that, you know, some of them who are still practicing allopathic medicine are kind of ashamed. They're kind of like, we don't really even know if this drug works, but it's what we have to give people. You know, it's like it's consistently every day pushing them against their ethics almost because they're just not, they can't say with certainty that what they're doing is really helping. That's because it's a for-profit system. And the culture's yeah, exactly. been broken. You're not looking at a doctor trained by a doctor who was trained by a doctor. So there's yeah, there's, yeah, there's so yeah, many yeah. points. But I think we're about to the top of the hour, but I'll point out a couple things. What got me interested in this was when I saw things like the apricot oil and it works. And I'm like, really? apricot oil you know how many millions of dollars have been spent um to get all these hair fix me i'm going bald things that don't work in the least um i used this and i noticed not only did my hair thicken up right away it got darker which isn't even one of the claimed um <laughs> things going on and it's so simple but you know i once saw a guy doing the three finger pulse and he immediately went across the fingernails of each nail and I later asked him, why did you do that? And he said, because each finger is associated with a certain thing, certain part of the body. And he felt mine. And he said, oh, your middle fingernail, can you feel all those ripples? And he told me all these things. And I thought, really, look how simple and common sense this is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a shame. And the problem is, is that it has been defamed. Um, and that should tell you something, too. When, when the, the big boy on the block spends all its time passing laws so that no other way can be sought after, and when they defame these things that have been around for so long, in part, when I got into studying the Tibetan cosmology and the meditation, the spiritual concerns, and the medical ideas, which I was very interested in, I had to plow through a ton of writing that just tried to make it look like hocus pocus. Mm -hmm. Whole books written to show why it's inferior. Um, mm -hmm. Not focusing on these almost superhuman things that can provably have gone on. But that does bring the first hour to a close. I'll ask you one more time, Douglas, would you like to tell people where they can get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, indigenousmedicine.net is my website. Douglas, do you have a physical location? Yeah, I, I am in Nevada City, California. I'd love to say one more thing. Something I just found out a few days ago talking to a teacher of mine in India in Ayurveda. 
And this is something that's really profound. And again, the, there's, a, there's a whole kind of like movement now away from trying to prove themselves to Western medicine, whereas there, there had been about a couple decades of a real strong push towards that. One of the things they've recently found out is that gut bacteria affects your brain chemistry, right? You, you understand that, right? Sure. Yeah, okay. So what they're finding is that specific bacterias relate to specific doshas, meaning that specific bacteria they're finding, for instance, there's a, a bacteria that likes to jump from one body to another body, okay? That bacteria is causing people to be more social. There's an, another bacteria that wants to be more hermited and reclusive. That bacteria, that's causing the person's behavior to be more reclusive and hermited. And so the different the different foods have different associated bacteria with them. And when you're eating, not just it's not just the taste and the elements, but they're also finding there's this bacterial component that you're encouraging the growth of or adding into your body that's balancing your dosha. For instance, if you have a pitta dosha, you're more fiery, you're going to have a more specific kind of bacterial buildup in your body. And that will cause your behavior to be certain ways. So the recommendations to balance that are things which reduce that bacterial count and encourage the bacterial count of the other, other energies in your body. Okay, so we're going to wrap it there. That'll be the end of hour one. We're going to have to push this conversation into hour two. People can join us over at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. That's the only real crow site. There's some jackass out there ripping people off and doing all kinds of stealing my stuff and fooling people. But to get back to the point, when we open up, we'll do things like, have you ever considered if everyone has different blood types and they're born at different times of the year, does one treatment really fit all? You'll find that these indigenous systems don't think so. They look at the individual. They look at the ideas being expressed. But anyhow, join us for hour two over at crow777radio.com. Cheers.
enemies of knowing. Come.